The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. And we see that Israel kind of sucks. They don't really... (laughs) I'm a colorblind guy, so take this with a grain of salt. Colors suck. It's not a coincidence, Caleb. It's the Bible. All right. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Second Rate Saints podcast. I'm one of your hosts here, Caleb. To my left is... I'm Colton. First time I think I've been beside you. Yeah. Yeah. But to my left is still... Joshua. It is... You've always been to my left, except for the episodes that you were not here. I'm not to your left, but yes. Sorry, to my right. Yeah, I just get sucked in with the whole to my left thing. Anyways, to my left is... It's me, Caleb again. And so you will have noticed we are sadly, again, missing Stuart, Mm -hmm. my good friend. And we're missing Joel. That's a bit of a bummer. So Joel's not here. Who's not our good friend, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, He's a very dear friend. Hi. (laughs) Because Joel's not here, I get to do the media plug. Mm. So, guys, check us out on Instagram. Joel does a bunch of cool stuff on Instagram. It's really fun. Very active. Yeah, does some polls. We're trying to get more traction and interaction on there. Super fun. Um, If you're watching us on YouTube, if you want it more in like an audio format for when you're traveling or like listening to the car, in the car or whatever, we're on Spotify and Apple Podcast as well. And uh, check out our website. We have a blog post there. We have book reviews. Most of the stuff in our whatever you read section, we actually have, you know, reviewed sections and there's um, star rating and like an actual breakdown, a little bit of a paragraph of us describing what it is and a link to it. Um, Yeah. And email us. Tell us what you think, what you like, what you're reading. What are you doing? What questions do you have? Um, We love it. We love interaction. It's awesome. Um, Josh. Did you do some reading? What have you read? What have I read? Um, I read a very short story by a great author named Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> um, you may have heard of that? him. You I, may I have don't heard think of I've heard this of this guy. Um, very, a very eminent author. Um, one of the greats, one mm-hmm. would say. Um, I read his little book, The Old Man and the Sea. Um, some editions have a little copy of him fishing as one of the pictures in the book. I think it's very fun and cute. Yeah, look. Anyways, for the for the two guys that are here, it's just a picture of her just having <laughs> in the book. Why? This is an audio format, Josh. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm showing you guys because it's funny. Why is there a picture of him fishing on it? Because the story's about an old man fishing and Ernest Hemingway is an old man. Wow. Um anyway, so this story is as I said, a classic. Um it's a it what it is first of all, is simply a story of an old man who's probably in his 60s or like 70s in Cuba who goes out on his uh, little tiny rowboat to go hunt for a fish, and he has not caught anything in 84 days. Um, That's some bad luck. That's that's some bad luck. But fishers are uh, relentless in their their hunt, in their pursuit. And this this story is the origin... Sorry, 
It's not the origin. Inspiration. It's the inspiration for other like fishing movies and stories where the guy wants that one fish. Jealous. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, now this takes like notes from like Moby Dick mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. like going for that one whale, but that's specifically like a story of revenge. Yep. But whereas this is like, it's a story of one man who was searching for this fish because the fish is symbolic for success and happiness in life. Mm-hmm. And the story is like an 80 page parable of the struggle and the suffering of life to get that, that, you know, for whatever that is for the person, the, the happiness, retirement, you know, the the good family fulfillment, stuff like that. And the, the, the willingness and the human spirit and the determinism and the relentlessness to achieve it, even if it kills you. Hmm. Right. Um, And Does does he die? He falls asleep at the end of the, the book, mm. um, but he is severely injured because he doesn't have a fishing rod. He has heavy line because he's hunting a marlin. Mm. Um, and similar to the Jonah story, it's regarded as great, large, way bigger than any marlin that has ever been around. Mm. Um, and a marlin is a famous, like every like fishing store, every uh fishing commercial will have like a marlin as the like the like chief fish so it's symbolic of like the most important thing and the man goes out and it's just him he catches the fish mm-hmm. one day and he's getting pulled by it and he is severely educated on the patterns of the the tides and the movements of the water the streams in the gulf um, how the fish behave, the light levels, and where to put your weights. Mm. Um, he's perfectly skilled. And there's people surrounding him in this area of the ocean that have like giant trolleys with like a hundred fishing lines, and they're successful pulling in fish after fish after fish. But they're not. They're younger, and they're not as learned as he is. They have all these other benefits, youth, mm-hmm. that are benefiting them. But he doesn't. He's it's at the a end rinky of his dink age. Old rowboat. Yeah. And so like when he catches this fish, it's much bigger than him and weighs more than him and his boat combined. Um, He wraps the line around his body and then gets dragged for four days until the fish gets too tired to fight him. And basically every time the fish pulls and it pulls him, it eventually gets tired and he Mm. wraps it one more time around his body. Right. Shortening the distance between him and the fish. Because Um, he's wrapping it around him, when it pulls, it would cut into him. It's cutting into him. It's cutting into his hand. Hmm. It's cutting into his arm. His he's like seventy, so like he's like holding and straining with his whole body for a while. So like parts of his body go numb from falling asleep, but he won't let go. This whole time, he's catching other smaller fish, right? Hunting this thing so that he can eat, (laughs) right? Hmm. But completely disregards them as a big enough glory Hmm. as hunting for this fish. Um, And it's a beautiful tale of this. And he like talks to it kind of similar to how um, in the life of Pi, Pi talks to the (laughs) tiger as if it's a real person. Um, And then sadly, as we all know, um, he gets the fish and he comes back, but he can't get it onto his boat. So he's dragging it behind him. He had to harpoon it in the heart to kill it. So sharks are biting at it as he's traveling home. And by the time he gets back 
only the head is uneaten. Right. And it's basically what it is. It's the story of you live your whole life fighting for wealth, money, prestige, fulfillment, hmm. but it doesn't last. You, you eventually die. Right. And it. you, and you ignore the smaller, uh, yeah. Prestiges and good things that you can obtain right now that are yeah. good. That don't and kill you. And sustaining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the whole town regards him as the greatest of fishermen when he gets home. Hmm. Because they see the skeleton of this fish. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this thing is the greatest fish that has ever been caught. In. Right? And it doesn't matter that he didn't get to eat it. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter that he didn't get to... It doesn't matter that he didn't get to enjoy the thing while he lived. It right. was the pursuit of the thing that was worth it. Okay. Hmm. So, um, yes, yeah. it's an old story. Yes. People know it. It's actually, what, 80 some odd pages you said? Yep. Very um, short. What would be your reason to tell someone, you should read this classic even though you know the story, you know the main argument, it's short, but like... Yeah. Other than, hey, I read a, read a classic <laughs> book and I can tell you what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. Or I had to read this in school. Um, yeah. You will see countless references to books like these in common literature and movies mm -hmm. and okay. TV. And themes from it that are applicable to like yeah. so many things. And so like that's the, that's the easy answer. Okay. If you want to understand what literature is talking about today, you have to understand what it's referencing. Which is kind of similar to our topic later on. Yep. Which is... To understand what we, we see now, it's all patterns from the past. Um, and then also what you get is, I mean, you become a smarter person. When you read smart people, you become a smarter person. Um, that's, and That's the hope at least. Yeah. That's the hope. And Ernest Hemingway, born in America, like living in America, he fought in the Spanish Civil War, um, I believe. Um, Civil War? Yeah. Um, like right before World War II. Oh, oh, the actual Spanish Civil War. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, so he one has of a lot the greatest of, American. He uh, he certainly is the greatest American author. Yeah. He is America's Dostoevsky. Sure. Um, is, is he the one with the whole, the saddest story in three words, which is, or four words or whatever, one sentence, which is the baby shoes never worn? Yeah. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, uh, what is the other book? His other books, um, for whom the bells toll. Mm. Um, yep. Oh, he's so many books. Yeah, he has so many books, and, and a lot of it is derived from his life. And so he's taking from real world experience. Um, great books, um, but as a result, you get to see the wisdom of a man who lived in a hard time, mm -hmm. and also the connections between. So this man lives in America right? Steeped in European history because of where he fought mm -hmm. um, as a freedom fighter, I believe, um, or America helping the nationalists side. And then Germany was helping the other side. Fascists. Yeah. But oh, uh, yeah. so the, they helped the yeah. democracy. Yeah. Um, and so he's steeped in Christian culture. Hmm. And what you see is a lot of what he says is in the Bible already. Mm -hmm. um, Though he himself not, not being a Christian. Yeah. Um, and so this story has a lot of the same themes that Paul, sorry, that's uh, the book of Ecclesiastes brings out right. about the pursuit of greatness, glory, life, wealth. And it's worth. And it's worth. And is it really worth it? Right. Right. 
I guess it, it ultimately is the you better find joy in your toil. Yeah. Which is right. the whole kind of conclusion, right? The, yeah. That's um, very cool. Yeah. And so you get, you get, it's definitely a book of wisdom told in the format of a parable as a man going fishing. All right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So I would recommend it. And it's 80 pages. You can get through it real quick. All right. Out of five, quick. Ooh. How many halos? Oh, cover and yep. content. Okay. Cover first is bad because what? this is part of the, um, the Acturus, uh, like bargain books. bin bargain bin. So like if you go to Indigo, it's $6 a book, regardless of the size. Right. So it's an easy way to get points at Indigo. But anyways, it's a real easy way if you don't care about the covers of your books. And some of them are like, okay. Um, this one's in the middle of the I like that. this one. You're being too harsh. <laughs> like, well, no, no, no. What it is is it's not It's not the cover. It's it's obviously a bargain cover. I love how harsh he is on book covers. Um, <laughs> it's very But fun. it does have a marlin on it. Especially like, the pine cone from the previous one, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> no. But um, as a book, out of five, mm-hmm. four and a half. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Why, why the half? Because um, you don't like the cover? Four is too little. Four is too little? Yeah. Okay. Five okay. is too much. So... All right, fair enough. Yeah. All right. So. We have a topic. We have a topic. Mm. This is actually the launching point of a what will turn to be an ongoing series mm-hmm. in, in our podcast. Um, there's going to be two, and we'll, we'll, we'll address the second when, uh, when it comes around. But we're going to do a series, an ongoing series of biblical theology and systematic. This is the first in the biblical theology. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so this isn't like a, you know one of 32 parts or three of four parts. This is just an ongoing, hey, every now and then we're going to have, we're going to cover a biblical theology. Mm -hmm. Most of the time they're going to be pulled from books themselves, books that we've read and all that kind of stuff. Um, There's a lot of decent series on biblical theology. And we've, one that you've heard us cover often is the short studies and system. uh, And new studies as well. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be doing new studies, all of them. Right. Because new studies often focus on books themselves, yeah. which is fine. They're also more academic. Yeah. And so there might be occasional ones from new studies, mm-hmm. um, but I think we're going to more focus on whole Bible or New Testament and Old Testament. Typology stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we're going to address the wide range of things, you know, covering more like the canonical approach as well, things that would fall into that. Also more the historical critical uh, the redemption, uh, history redemption. So anything that would kind of fall in that whole Bible or New Testament and Old Testament Bible theologies. And we're going to judge them harshly. No. Oh, oh, darn. Before we jump straight into the book and even Stronstad's stuff, what do we mean when we say biblical theology versus like systematic theology? So it's the way you approach things. Mm-hmm. Um, biblical theology would be this is something that they debate even amongst themselves, is the theological content that the Bible itself is trying to get across. Right. And so what often happens, like this is very common, and you'll see this in in the one we're about to cover, um, it will follow a pattern or it will follow a theme throughout the whole Bible. Um, Sometimes that theme is decided by the author, and then they want to see what does the Bible say about this. Sometimes it'll go, okay, this is clear, this theme is clearly being communicated by several of the biblical authors. 
I'm going to try to find the connection point and see how that theme develops. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's a little arbitrary. Sometimes it's clearly this is what the Bible's trying to get across in this very, in this very, uh, like a reoccurring pattern. Um, and a, uh, obvious example of that would be covenants. Yeah. Yeah. How God interacts with humanity or kingship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we're going to be, we'll be interacting with a lot of the biblical theology um, series and we'll be covering over some of our own essays that we wrote when we were in college mm-hmm. um, and some stuff that we might just come up with. Hey, you know what? There's no book on this, but I would love to do this in a, you know, in the biblical ongoing biblical theology. Yeah. Um, series systematic is far more like practical what what does the church believe about x Mm -hmm. and so it's less about what the bible is trying to get across par se right it's more about how do i deal with this idea this question right here right now after 2000 years of christians mulling over this idea different traditions philosophy interjecting Mm -hmm. where does science play into our understanding of the bible Mm -hmm. um yeah and so we'll We'll go more into depth into how that will work in our first episode in our systematic theology series. Okay. Um, but yeah. But this time, this is the first one. And I'm very happy to announce that we're doing Roger Strongstad, a, the late Roger Strongstad, Pentecostal theologian, Canadian Pentecostal theologian, mm-hmm. did a, the book is called A Pentecostal Theology, Turning Points in the Story of Redemption. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the uh, he was the biblical theology professor at and Western Pentecostal theology. Bible theology. Mm-hmm. Yes. He had two doctorates known as Summit Pacific. Mm-hmm. Two doctorates in uh, two doctorates in divinity. Um, well educated guy, well respected guy. Mm-hmm. Um, just you'll notice if you go to our website with the book reviews, you'll see this has been uh, both Joel and myself have given this one a review. Um, I think we're just waiting on you guys to yes, give it a I have review. Yes, I yet to review. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Regardless, just uh, if you guys have seen the seen the cover, Josh, cover one out of five. Oh, yeah, guys, this is a is this a one or a point five? This is a point what? five. No, it's way higher than that. This is what? a point five. This is a solid two and a half. I to can't three. see half the colors on here. <laughs> okay, yeah, Josh, Color blind boy. No, um. No, I think what this is, this is the this is the kind of book you would find. Okay, let me be very clear. Mm-hmm. The content is good. The theologian is great. He did not design this cover. Yeah. Um I think it stands out. I think yeah, it, cuz it's piss yellow. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. The colors. Now, I'm a colorblind guy. So, take this with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Colors suck. Um but as a simple document, this looks like a journal cover. It does. It does. Um, yeah. And not a biblical theology for... An official book. A, a biblical theology by a preeminent theologian for a denomination. Yeah. Um, okay, that's fair. And so, is it... Yeah. So, I'm going to go over... Great book, though. I've gone down to two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go over... What type of biblical theology it is, mm-hmm. like how what's his general approach, and a little bit of the the history of how this book came to be, because it's it's worth noting, especially if uh, any of you listeners actually pick it up. Um, it says it's turning points in the story of redemption. It's very history driven. 
Mm -hmm. It views things from a very, very historical lens. And in modern lingo, if this book was published, it would probably say in the uh, in redemption history, turning points in redemption history, because that whole track of biblical theology likes to call itself redemption history, right. redemption history. Um, and it's very much recording God's actions in what what the, those theologians would call secular history and their theological impact in, quote unquote, secular history. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's... That's kind of his framework, very history-based. And so you'll see him reference stuff that's not in the Bible in it. Not a whole lot, but uh, but it is focused on the actual historical events of, especially once it gets into the New Testament, um, and like the siege of Jerusalem and stuff like that. Right. Um, so yeah, he's, it's a very history-focused, less themes. And what he does is he brings a pattern that he sees repeated. Mm-hmm. And which we'll get in, into more into. Yep. Um, final re- little prelude. He wrote this. Like supposedly, most of this is was uh, written by dictation, and the editors at the press did not edit the book very well. No. Um, both himself and I know a couple of the professors that worked with him were very upset. Yeah. About it, even yeah. the even the cursory view of me just reading through it just to take notes every once in a while, I'm like, okay, uh, I don't get what's going on here because there's clearly some spelling mistakes, like mm-hmm. calling this six the seventh or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it, yeah, it's not edited very well. Yeah, which is a bummer. It's a real big bummer. However, it is only um, just over 200 pages long. It's specifically targeted at undergrads. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big things you'll see with biblical theology. There's no real, you have the short studies in biblical theology, which is like 150 pages. That could really be read by laymen. It's not like your, your fourth, third, fourth year um, gradu- uh, undergrad. That's a little beneath them. But the jump from that up to another one, you're talking four, five, 600 page or bigger of a biblical theology. So this is kind of a rare find in that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's good in that it's it's small, it doesn't overload the reader, um, and it's that it's very approachable. Mm-hmm. But the pattern, the also, seven cycles, sorry. Oh, also I was going to say, if you read it, you could probably skip Old Testament and New Testament theology at Summit Pacific College. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you could. Yeah, uh, you just take the final exam. <laughs> um, the pattern. He sees a pattern. That's his whole basis. Is there's patterns? Monkey sees pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, Colton, what is the pattern? What's his main argument? So he talks about these things called turning points. That is the name of the the name of the title. Uh, turning points as the story of redemption. These turning points are basically groupings where he sees a pattern of a, uh, of a start of a, like a return to right worship, the spread of sin. There's this divine judgment that comes from God because of that sin. And then a new start that begins because of it. Mm -hmm. So start sin spreads, there's judgment and new start. And this pattern keeps repeating itself uh, as a general overview of certain parts of the Bible. Uh, He says seven times. Mm -hmm. There is... 
Oh, there's like the first three take place in the first few chapters of Genesis. Yeah. I've, oh, actually, the first three, first, first two. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. The first, the first, uh, the first three cover only the Pentateuch. Hmm. Um, only the first five books of the Bible, and then the rest are kind of a lot covering way more than that. Yeah. Uh, with the sixth and seventh covering the entire New Testament. Hmm. Uh. This is the order of the cycles uh, that he points out. The first cycle, he says that this pattern of start, sin, judgment, start, uh, is from the creation of the creation in Genesis one to the flood in Genesis eight uh, with Noah. This uh, something to be noted is that when he when he lists these turning points, he highlights this return to right worship, as I mentioned before, that uh, when sin is brought brought in and then God judges, the new start begins with uh, everything going back to being obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Like a restoration. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Redemption or restoration, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also, he brings up agents, uh, mm-hmm. agents of God, people who represent God's work on behalf of, uh, of bringing about this, either bringing about this judgment or bringing about this restoration. Usually it's the restoration. Um, and so from the f- first cycle, the uh, the agents would be uh, Adam, specifically. Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And Noah. And Noah. Noah, yeah. m- more so well, in the second. His Well, the thing is, is with his cycle split up, he, Noah is the method by which the new start begins. His yes. life is preserved. However, the quote-unquote start of the second cycle mm-hmm. is the return to right worship. Yes. And so the survival of Noah and his family is yes. the fourth part of the first cycle, and the return to right worship of Noah and his family is the first part of the second. Right. Um, the his his lines, and we'll get we'll get into this later on. But his his distinctions are not always super super clear. Mm-hmm. But it's and they start to blur together. Some of that may be on purpose. Yep. Um, but yeah, that that's his kind of Noah is an agent in both. Well, in in all of them, there's a connecting point that that ties the previous one to the next one, mm-hmm. except for the fourth one. Yeah. But uh, this first cycle actually only covers about eight chapters of the Bible. Uh, from Genesis 1 to 8. What's even funnier is that the second cycle only covers three. Yeah. It covers from Noah to the Tower of Babel. This one is very short. Uh, it covers Noah's right wor- uh, return to right worship and then Babel being uh, struck with the confusion of languages and humanity being spread out as judgment. But uh, that leads into the third cycle, which then he chooses. Rather than this top-down view, it kind of gets a little more personal that starts with Abraham uh, and goes all the way to Israel's uh, wilderness wanderings in uh, Exodus or in uh, Numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, again, it's not three chapters, and this time it's uh, four books. Yeah, they keep, they keep getting wider, wider, They wider, do get wider. wider. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it's interesting in that um, there's, there's another pattern that starts to occur. It's not in his, in his thing, mm-hmm. although it's clearly represented, like he's aware of it. Right. Um, Sin, even after the right worship, there's this like, ah, but sin still festers, right? Because you have Ham, and he's the 
Mm-hmm. He's the one who sees Moses' nakedness. Yes. And that's immediately after the return to right worship. And then sin spreads, you know, and then mm-hmm. they, they Nimrod builds the city. Everybody comes back together to yep. oppose God. And we, we covered that in our Tower of Babel episode. If, uh, if you haven't listened to that, check that out. Or if you really liked it, maybe listen to it again. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, God comes down, confuses their languages. They spread across the the face of the earth like they were like they're told to do. Yep. Um, yep. Interestingly enough, that's kind of the weird, like at least t- to me, um, the return to right worship. There, it's his. It's not defined if it occurs at the at the as the last segment of a cycle or the beginning of the next cycle. Because mm-hmm. in that framework or in that in that event, Abraham's calling is the return to right worship. Yes, which is in the third cycle, and so the second cycle doesn't have a return to right, to right worship, unless you it's God take forcing it. To well, extent. unless yeah. you take them obeying the now spread. Yeah, yeah. which um, as the obedience as yeah. worship. It, yes. Yeah. Um, but speaking of that third one that goes to the wilderness wanderings. Uh, the next one continues straight off of that. It, Deuteronomy s- sort of skipped over because it's part of the previous one. Mm-hmm. But uh, this goes from Joshua, the story of Joshua going into the land of Canaan. The reinstating of right worship here is him doing what he was told to do, that Israel was told to do in numbers and them not doing it, them not going into the Holy Land. And now he is actually going into the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. I say Holy Land, like I'm a crusader or something like that. <laughs> Deus Volt. The, prom- the promised land. Um, uh, and this one from Joshua, it covers quite a lot of history. It covers all the way from him invading uh, to the judges and how they lived to the time of the kings and then to both Israel and Judah's exile, mm-hmm. which are at two different times, but both Judah and Israel represent the whole of the Hebrews, mm-hmm. um, which are part of his agent. Yeah. And the creative and destructive aspect in that one is the creation of a nation and then the destruction yes. of the nation. Yes. Yeah. But the new start, or like the, the quasi-new start, is the, last, mm-hmm. uh, is the last segment in the cycles, is the promise to, hey, I'm going to keep you. Yes. It's okay. You are a not remnant. forgotten. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so this is like the, the establishment of God's people away from the Holy Land. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to describe that more? Mm. You see, like, like there's the, you know, do we do we put roots down or not? And the whole, there's mm-hmm. this, yeah, puts roots down, buy property, you know, actually get married, um, stuff like that. And there's, you see it even in Daniel as well, right? Um, or there's a, there's an expectation of, hey, no, you're going to be in captivity for a while. Yes. God has not forgotten. God will not abandon you. And you see that most explicitly communicated in, uh, in Esther, where God's name yes. actually isn't even mentioned, mm-hmm. yet the entire theme is God protects his people yep. even when they're not in the promised land. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's... Um, then what about the rebuilding of the temple? Well, we'll, we'll get to it. That get, that's, that's the fifth cycle. Yes, that is part of the fifth and final one of the Old Testament. Uh, the only the, the next two are covering, but I'll get there. Um, the, no, my only problem is because the fourth. No, shh, shh. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, the, the fourth? Um, you have the new start as uh, Canaan, like them living, like not living in the promised land. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the start of the fifth is the temple. 
Yes, specifically it's rebuilding, which is the restoration of the yeah. worship. Yeah, but um, in Ezra and Nehemiah. What do you mean? I, I, the, I the, don't the understand. Disc, the discard is so the end of the fourth cycle says yeah. new start is being okay living outside of the Holy Land. Yeah. But the new start of the fifth is oh, I see. the temple. It skips over. So you a have period. two starts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's part of the whole, it's built within the whole cycle a little bit where it's like there's a, you have start or new start, right? Okay. Um, spread of sin, judgment. And then some kind of end or new start, like yep. some kind of like conclusionary things will can carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. however the new new, like the, the new start, the first section of any cycle is a, is more like, this is a new movement. This is yeah. action is required. Mm. Um, whereas the chosen fourth, agent. yeah. Whereas yeah. the fourth part in either of the cycles is normally represented as this is the fallout, but this is the new standing of the people of God after judgment. Yep. Mm. So yeah, the terminology of the new and the new is a little frustrating. Yeah. yeah. It, should, it should also be mentioned that between the fourth and the fifth cycle, there is actually a gap, even in his, uh, how he depicts uh, his cycles. Mm-hmm. Whereas the previous ones had like connection points that carried over. This connection point is the, the remnant, but it's not really part of the new cycle because that generation dies off. There's a 70 year gap mm-hmm. that he even recognizes between the start this and the start of the next cycle. Yeah. Um, which in the fifth cycle, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. Joshua, it starts with uh, Joshua, um, mm-hmm. the son of uh, Shealtiel. It's a Joshua again. Yes. This is the second yes. time Joshua's name has been mm-hmm. mentioned. Although it's the previous one was son of Nun, the one that uh, brought them into the promised land right after Moses. And this one yep. is the one that returned from the exile and, hel- and the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, this one goes... Now, you would think that uh, someone who's just thinking about the Bible and, and it's being broken up would probably think that this would end at either Malachi at the end of the Old Testament or with Jesus at the start of the New Testament. But actually, this one doesn't end with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It ends with the destruction of the second temple. Uh, it, the beginning of the... Uh, starts with the building of the second temple and this ends with the destruction of the second temple mm-hmm. uh, in 70 CE. Mm-hmm. See, well, and it's the 80. spread of sin that he gets after, and I, I, I don't, I don't explicitly remember if he makes this argument in his discussion of the fifth cycle or in the discussion of the sixth. Um, there's like uh, Malachi mentions the the hip hip hip. Why can't I say hypocrisy? It? Hypocrisy in their yep. worship, right? They're they're like they're they're not actually worshiping they're just mm-hmm. going through the actions they don't actually know god no. they're just doing the thing your hearts mm-hmm. which is the very thing that jesus confronts yeah yep. right and so there's that blend in there where the both of the cycles are one cycle is dying out and the other cycle is coming into into place and um the illusion that some people bring is you see that start in the end of nehemiah yes um with the book ending as him saying, remember me, Lord, for all the good things that I've done for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that that's an interesting conversation because like he is seen as the person that does lead God's people with yep. Ezra back to um, the Holy Land on the account of Cyrus. Um, but it also does seem that his motivations are not, not exactly pure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, similar to Jonah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. With uh, 
with the end of the fifth cycle that starts right near Jesus. We'll get into the sixth and seventh, but I kind of want to talk about the first cycle again. Go over the five, what they mean in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and then we can talk about the second half of his book, because he actually half the book covers the Old Testament, and the second half covers the New, mm-hmm. um, because he kind of approaches them differently. Yeah, his methodology kind of shifts. A little bit. Um, and it, his pattern is more easily recognizable in the Old Testament. It gets a little more complicated in the New. Um, we had mentioned that the first cycle starts with creation and ends at the flood. Mm-hmm. But we also mentioned that there's things like uh, agents, mm-hmm. things like this restoration of right, right worship. Uh, what kind of worship, it, for a restoration of white, right worship to, I, I keep saying white worship, but um, <laughs> no, uh, what is worship look like at the beginning of this? Beginning of creation. What is the righteous, the worship that's being restored? It looks like um, obeying God's command to um, have dominion over the earth mm-hmm. and work the garden. Um, and walking with God, being his imager, um, appropriately. Um, and in turn, you see that develop into priestly, um, yep. Priestly roles. And also the image of God dominion stuff starts to become a kingship motif. Yep. Uh, And we, we, uh, he draws this connection from the Bible where it says things like, uh, the image of God thing is reiterated with Noah the things that were told to uh, Adam are reiterated mostly to uh, Noah again. And uh, a lot of the, like we said, a lot of these connection points tend to show that there is a new start. Yeah. Well, it's especially with, with Noah and Adam, like the, the ancient Jewish understanding of their cosmology, right? Like the waters, the chaotic mm. waters that encompass their whole world and therefore in their understanding, yeah. crash down upon everything. In their mindset, it would be a return to a quasi, yeah. you know, like the, the 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 waters of the deep, right? And so the chaotic that's the, nothingness. Mm-hmm. And that, so in their mind, it's very much a decreation, and when the waters subside, recreation mode. Yeah. Yep. For the uninitiated, we should probably step through that. Um, so, like with the creation story, you see water, then the separation from water and sky, land. Yep. Uh, fish and birds, plants, and then animals and humans. Um, And in the Noah's destruction, the the flood, which is the end of that first cycle, is with Noah's story, that happens in reverse. Yes. It's an undoing of each of those things. Yeah. The animals go away. The the people go away. The animals go away. The plants get destroyed. The birds go, and the fish go away. Then you're only left with water. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is a... God is actively reversing creation as an act of judgment. And that becomes a pattern. Those words used, flood, multitude, winds, stuff like that, end up becoming the words for judgment throughout the rest of the pattern. Yeah. Yes. Um, And then that brings us to... It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. Mm -hmm. So if this is the start and the new start, what is the sin that caused God to undo the world? The, the, in Noah's day? Yes. Uh, oh, it's specifically violence. Yes. Specifically. Um, and it's violence over the whole face of the earth. Because up until that point, he was reacting. He was basically telling them, hey, exile. Yeah. Exile people, exile people. But there was violence over the entire earth. Is that what, is the motif that's being communicated at and least. And yes. the, the one specific line is every 
every uh, desire in their heart is evil. Yeah. Yep. Them. Yeah. Yeah. They've fallen completely dip- into depravity. Yeah. Mm. And so, like we said, the, the, the divine judgment is this deluge, this uncreation, but preserve, mm. um, pers- uh, perseverance. That's the wrong word. Preservation? Preservation. That's okay. the right word. He preserves Noah and his family and the animals uh, so that it's not a complete undoing mm-hmm. of the world. A mini Eden. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which will have ties to Jesus that we'll mention later. And Jonah. Yeah. Yes. We might not mention those. And know. the remnant. Yes. Uh, after this new start, uh, Noah comes uh, and the second cycle begins mm-hmm. with Noah who is the agent of the, sort of an agent of the last one. Kind of an agent in both. Yeah. Yeah. And with this, you see the recreation occur. The water subside. You can see the sky. The birds appear. The land appears. The animals are let out. Yep. Plants are grown. As you see a, a, a recreation event. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, spearheaded by Noah and God. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. How does Noah restore right worship? Um, he, I feel like I'm being quizzed here, man. I know. I'm um, you. He makes uh, the God makes a covenant with him. He makes an appro- an appropriate sacrifice that is pleasing, mm-hmm. sends a pleasing aroma to the Lord, um, and rainbow, rainbow. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, rainbow God makes time. a covenant with him, and it seems that yeah. it's his obedience and sacrifice that yeah. uh, is sort of the return to right worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, it takes obedience and sacrifice mm-hmm. to to restore. Yes. Technically actually to restore it, the motifs tying together humanity's relationship to God, but also reality's relationship via yes. humanity. Yes. Yep. And so it starts with humanity starting to spread across the earth. And that's the other obedience is produce re uh yep. Multiply and spread among the, the earth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but spread ham, out. sin ham. still survives. Those mm-hmm. pork boys, I can't believe it. <laughs> okay, I don't know. How dare you? I miss Joel. He had all the good jokes. Yeah, I know. Joel, we're missing. <laughs> I'm sure the audience is wildly aware that we're missing <laughs> the comedy. <laughs> um, the spread of sin. How is sp- uh, sin spread according to uh, the Bible and Stronstadt? Um, Mostly human agency and um, most typified by humanity's rebellion to spread out, mm-hmm. inst- but instead congregate in cities. Yes. This motif kind of gets lessened the further you go throughout scripture. Mm. Um, but in the beginning of scripture, it's a very heavy motif. Right. Well, as God does, he starts to turn cities into a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it may have something to do with ancient cultures, um, God-King complex within cities. Mm-hmm. Cities in that culture, in that time, yep. would be ruled by family line, but they would be, they would be basically a, a, a warrior God that, or warrior, warrior king that mm. claimed godhood. Yeah. And what, with what happens at Babel, it, it's fairly self-explanatory that they were rebelling against God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, That's probably the motif. And as that lessens in the local culture, mm-hmm. so that commentary, that commentary against cities 
also does. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, cities are o- always, generally speaking, the most progressive place within a nation, both yes. pr- uh, in the in like good things and in bad things. Right. Here's a thought in real time, mm-hmm. as I'm having one. I'm uh, glad you said that before, but you're about to say what crazy stuff you're about to say. <laughs> uh, Josh. Yes. You mentioned the uh, how cities are sort of turned into a good thing by God later on. Yep. Uh, you know, with the Jerusalem and all that. Yep. But this made me think of the first cycle, and at least how Strong said uh, shows it, and how violence is what led to the destruction of uh, the world. Yep. Um, but after that, vi- violence is sort of used in a positive way when it comes to uh, the new punishment for uh, murder. Before it was exile, and now it is execution. Mm-hmm. If that's similar here with uh, with Babel, is that cities were bad, and then now God's sort of redeemed that idea even? Yeah, I don't know if I'd go there. No. Um, well, the the pattern you could create is the whole pattern of God makes all things new. Um, yeah, but Colton's argument would be that violence is condoned as a weapon of God and his people. No, I don't think it's condoned as a weapon. Well, it's, it's not that it's condoned. It's more that God uses, at least in, if you were to take this uh, turning point theology, um, that God uses ideas from the previous cycle to for good things in the next cycle. Oh. Or, or yeah. going forward. Yeah. Because... Um, the thing that led to sin is now being used positively by God. <laughs> that's a wild yeah. theory, but I'll... Not that it's good. That's an interesting thought in real well, time. Well, it, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Violence that. isn't inherently evil. No, it's not inherently evil, but it is a result of the fallen world. So in the, in the new creation, there won't be violence, that kind of thing. Uh, when everything is fully redeemed. Yeah. In, unless people eat animals. Yes. Then there would be violence. But then, yeah. yeah. All right. I, yeah. I don't know if that classifies for what we're talking about. No. The same thing. Because it's murder specifically. Yes, but then we need to specify murder. Yeah. Well, Not killing just animals violence. is murder. Because that would be the separation in the Ten Commandments of do not kill versus do not murder. Yeah, however, the Israelites do uh, not just kill all of the Canaanite people, yep. but they also murder all of their children, which is Colton's point. Well, that's something I actually didn't even Okay, we of. need to do a whole episode on that at some point. Yeah. Also, murder isn't the word it, I would use. It would not be murder, it would be judgment. Because murder means unjustified. Yeah, okay. and there it's an act of judgment, so it's the same as an execution for sin. Okay, which we so. can say whether or not we like that. Okay, yeah. Uh, anyway. Like I agree with you, but I'm gonna just you know throw it just, just so I, everybody I, knows this was a thought in real time. This is a thought yeah. in real time, and as our pre-episode thing says, we don't necessarily believe what we're saying. Yeah, I honestly <laughs> don't I believe in a hundred percent of the things I say. Yeah, I don't believe you. You shouldn't. <laughs> um. So. Cities, yes. Yeah. The, the 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 act of judgment is interesting here. Yes. Because people get, um, their languages get confused, right? And I mentioned before that the language of the flood is used as the the language of judgment in the rest of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the connection point here would be is you have order among humanity, 
they can all communicate properly with each other and understand each other. Okay. And God institutes chaos amongst people. Oh. They, they cannot communicate. That actually makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Especially with later ones. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so he, he, the judgment is a returning to not able to communicate. Mm. There might as well not be humans. <laughs> but, but anyways, you get that same, like, like the water, the, the symbol of the deep as chaos, unordered right. um, potential. I mean, and then it's just, you know, interesting coincidence that it has to do with vocabulary, which is how the world was brought into being. Yes. It's just, that and one's just a funny God little. the world yeah. through language. Yeah. And oh, now yeah. language yeah. is the means of destruction. Very cool. Yeah. Um. So, they're all I, confused. They all spread out on the it's earth. It's not a coincidence, Caleb. It's the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I think it, does, it doesn't communicate meaning. Sorry? It doesn't communicate meaning other than monkey sees pattern. Yes. I don't think that's true. Okay. You think it's something intended? I mean, the, the oh. theology of language is huge. There's definitely something there. If it's He's using words as a means of judgment yeah we can get into that later so close to genesis we can get into how deep you can go with biblical theology until you're yeah. just reading monkey sees pattern into I think, the bible i think that the charismatic speaking in tongues reflects babel well that that's is, not just a thought in real time that is actually not a thought in real time because that, that made no sense thank you <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't make sense i'm ending this thought in real time with not thinking. let's move on boys yes. um, well no the connection point is pentecost but yeah yeah, for yeah. for Babel, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but after this second, uh, don't want to get bogged down too far. Uh, humanity spreads across the earth because of God. Uh, the thing that they were supposed to take into their own hands, now God is basically taking into His hands. Mm-hmm. Um, which, speaking of taking into His own hands, God chooses for the third cycle a person to represent uh, Him, mm-hmm. and to for from which all nations will be blessed through and the world will be blessed. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's interesting because it's, this begins a pattern that will come up when we go into some of the typologies. Yep. Um, but it's the first instance where a proper, like, how can I put it? There will be the, in, in the description of this video, you're going to see a, uh, a link to a, to an open word doc. You won't be able to edit it. Nice try anyway. <laughs> Um, it's the only one of ours you're going to be able to access, mm. but so far, but, um, there's a couple images from the book that Strongstad uses mm-hmm. to help communicate how this pattern goes. And if you click on that link, you'll see both the, the image and the key or the legend to yes. read that image. Um, and so this is the first time you'll notice when you look at the image, there's a little triangle begins the, the tip of the triangle moving forward is the single person, Abraham, from him, yes. everyone's blessed. And you can see as that trails off, there's dotted lines as it continues on. And the concept is not only does, not only is, does Israel come about through, through Abraham, but it's a blessing for, to the world. Yes. Um, and we covered that pretty heavily when we talked about our patriarchs. Uh, I don't know about heavily. It was a big theme. Um, you can yeah, see absolutely. it in Abraham when, when he's when he's in Egypt. You can see it in Isaac when he's with the Philistines. Mm-hmm. You can see it with Jacob when he's with Laban. Yep. And it's this thing that continues to, to pass on, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this specific person that we're talking about uh, who blesses all the nations is Abraham. Um, 
Abraham is the st- uh, the one called at the beginning of the cycle to be God's agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two people that are God's agent. There's this and Moses. Mm-hmm. Moses occurs basically halfway through the cycle, though. He's not the start of a new one, um, but is sort of continuing Abraham's idea with Israel. Um, it would be Moses is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant yes. in this specific um, cycle. Yes. Right? The nationhood comes about. The, But obviously certain things aren't don't fully, fully come about. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Josh um, agrees. <laughs> most of the covenant, because they don't have land yet. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Which comes in the... Joshua. Yes. Um, Me. No. <laughs> the So the call of Abraham, Abraham is called. Mm-hmm. And as the new te- uh, the Old Testament goes on, uh, you see the patriarchs, you see Moses. He comes forth and he kind of changes a little bit of the promise made to Abraham. It's now specifically tied to Israel as a, yeah. as a nation. Well, Israel, out of all of God's descendants, mm. or not, whoa, Abraham's descendants, forgive mm. me, um, out of all of Abraham's descendants, Israel, the ones in captivity in Egypt, they're the, the chosen ones, yep. right? Um, retroactively, you can read that as you're going through the, the the patriarchs. You can go, oh, that's the one who gets blessed. That's the one who gets blessed. Yeah. Okay. it's You can see it. The, the, the Bible presents it as an obvious thing. Um, however, it's, it's presented in Exodus as it's like, no, he, God heard the Israelites um, crying out in captivity in Egypt, and he called them. He selected them. They are his nation. He's going to bring them to, to Canaan. Yep. Yeah, and then makes a covenant with them. Yes, and that covenant shouldn't be just skipped over because it's very, very major in terms of uh, especially the coming cycles. Yeah. Uh, what Moses ties in with God, the law, uh, is very, very important for even how they fall. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily in this cycle, although partially. Well, it's, it's put up as in it's you stay obedient, you remain in the land. Yes. That's that's oversimplification, but th- that is that's the main thing, and you'll see that that yep. ends up being the the undoing of the next cycle. Yeah, the the theme of Deuteronomy is if well, at least one of the main themes of Deuteronomy is you prosper when you obey God, you will be destroyed if you don't. Yeah, um, and we see that uh, Israel kind of sucks. They don't really. <laughs> They don't really follow Moses super well uh, after he is now the agent of God. They don't really follow Moses's, like, oh, sorry, I thought you said after Moses. They don't <laughs> follow like, after Moses very well either. But, um, it's like, yeah. no, they don't follow him they complain during Rumble Moses. The whole time. The whole time, three times yeah. specifically. Um, and then it actually, this problem causes Moses to himself yeah. disobey God. And we say they suck because they complain the whole time. But, like, let's be real. We all would, yeah. and we all do. Also, oh, they yeah. conquer yeah. quite a few people before yeah. this, so they don't fully suck. Yeah, just well, they they, they make it there, and then they, they turn do. it down. Well, that's the thing is, they, they refuse to trust God to fulfill His scared. promises. Yep, they don't. Much like at the beginning of the cycle, uh, where God uh, Abraham is promised uh, these things, specifically a land. Um, that this generation uh, the of Israelites, they were Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. They did not have faith 
uh, in the promises of God, mm-hmm. and that's what causes them to disobey. Yeah. Um, God has them wander around the desert for, for 40 years. The old generation dies off. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that starts the next one mm-hmm. uh, with Joshua. Joshua. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Josh, other Joshua. Um, <laughs> he starts with where the uh, where the Canaanites. No, sorry, wrong ones. Where the uh, Israelites failed in the previous generation. Yeah, they failed to take hold of the promise of God and trust Him. Joshua immediately, uh, specifically obeys God and yep. through many ways. Yes. Well, and the connecting point between them is him and Caleb were the only ones that survived yep. from the forty years of wandering in the desert because God promised them because they were obedient the first time. Yep. Yeah. So, and so their, obedi- God. their obedience yeah. is what gets them into the land. I hate saying that because it's, we'll get into the whole, how agency works a little yeah. bit and when it, we cover the typologies. It, it is in terms of um, this turning point idea that the, uh, f- the, the, f- the failure, the sin is a reflection of the right worship that was restored. Yeah. Um, and so the right worship that is restored in Joshua is him having faith in God's ability to follow through with his promises that they yep. will conquer the land and that they will settle in it. Yep. And so when they do, um, and you have the whole, like, as for me and my house, we will continue to choose exactly. to serve the Lord, which Joshua knows that they're not going to faithfully serve God. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that this play out throughout the historical works, right? Um, you have the judges and you have Saul and then you have David yep. and then you have Solomon and then the split kingdom. Yep. And so you have like the, the, the spread of sin is them continually breaking that covenant. Yep. It's their continual idolatry. The nation is fractured and you have evil Kings yep. in the South. You have a, you have a couple more good Kings and that kind of is the reason why they, they last a little bit longer, but uh, the Northern Kingdom, Israel, falls in 70, uh, 721 or 22, either one. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere around there. Yep. Um, and then the Southern Kingdom falls officially in uh, 586, bo- yes. both BC. Um, and then they're brought out to exile, which is the which is the consequence that they knew in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. as in the, yeah. uh, the Mosaic Covenant, which God specifically told them, you're going to fail. It, mm-hmm. it does, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is so sad. But they go into they go into exile, and it's actually the ones who are pulled away from the land that are the ones that are kept. They're they're the remnant, yes, um, and the ones who stay, they are they are not. And so the promise that's that's the 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 fourth the start yeah. the quote unquote fourth start or the resting place of the of the yeah. cycle the fourth cycle is and, uh, sorry. Oh, and I was just going to say, and the, the continuation of that destruct, creation and destruction motif is you have the creation of a nation and the destruction of, and that the, destruction of the nation. Yeah. But the language used for the destruction is, sorry, the language used of the creation of the nation is it becomes plentiful, there's water, there's a lot of crops and stuff like that. And then you see it degrade over time. Mm-hmm. You see in the destruction, you see it's left as a wasteland. The multitude. Well, the, the reason the, yeah. what's described as actually, yeah. I just realized this, it's yeah. described as tovu vubohu. Yes, which is which is oh, also complete the, emptiness and chaos. Yeah. Which we should go back. That's also the way the wilderness is described. Yes, yeah. the wilderness is described. The wilderness as, wanderings, right. which is the way Genesis one describes the uh, uh, creation. Creation itself yeah, the, before the, God's creative endeavors. Yeah, 
I didn't realize that. Man, yeah. I'm dumb. <laughs> but that's true for both the beginning of the creation of the nation mm-hmm. yep. and the destruction of the 40 years in the wilderness. Yes. So it, it's described the 40 years that they're in there dying yeah. is described as Tovu Vabohu, unfilled and unformed, uninhabitable. Yep. And at the beginning of the creation of the nation is the same thing. Interesting. Um, and then at the end, you see the same water motifs. The multitudes come crashing down from all around them. Mm-hmm. If you think of Israel as like earth surrounded by the deep, mm-hmm. comes down crashing around them. God re- God stops protecting them from the deep, mm-hmm. stops protecting them from the enemy nations. Um, the destruction reduces them back to a wasteland. Mm-hmm. Same idea. But like with the Noah motif, a remnant, the family, the the few that were obedient, were obedient yeah. um, mostly obedient, um, get taken away by the means of destruction. Yep. Yeah. The boat goes with the waves just as the Israelites get taken away by the army that destroyed them. Sure. And they survive. Oh, the means of destruction in the Tower yeah. of Babel. You have the... Yep. This is... Yeah. Guys, you guys are so smart. I read the book and I didn't even make these connections. <laughs> Their their connections I especially got from classes. Yes, um, yeah. especially because yeah, but, I don't remember those con- those specific connections in this book. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, the, the especially the uh, the motif of destruction and creation. Mm-hmm. No, it's not in the book. Not really. Um, uh, it's specifically that's uh, our professor heads addition to yeah the yeah. class who studied under Stronsted. Yeah. Yes. So. I don't feel like name dropping you quite yet. No, this this sounds an awful lot like uh, James M. Hamilton Jr.'s uh, what is it? Uh, the glory of God through salva- uh, in salvation through judgment. Yeah, I mm-hmm. need to read it. I don't, you haven't started it. Yet, no, either. because he doesn't go through the cycles. He goes through all acts of destruction because like, you see the same words yeah. used in the the yeah. destruction of Egypt oh, man. and like stuff like yep. that. So, like, yeah. So like. There's more judgments for the readers. Yes, There's more yes. judgments than these. These are cosmic. Yeah, it, it does seen as I, cosmic judgments. I would just, yeah, yeah. It seems as though that's a biblical theology that specifically picks up on that theme, and he follows yeah. it through throughout the entire Bible. Yeah. Um, finally, fifth cycle. Yeah. Fifth cycle. Joshua, son of Shealtiel. Not you, Joshua. No. Not again. Although again, the, uh, this pattern. The high priest. Yes. And. You see a reconnection to an older theme, yep. which is the uh, connecting him to this. Sorry, this is where the theme is easier seen than in the past. But now that you've gotten to this point, you can look into it a past mm-hmm. is the merger of king and priest. Because Joshua is through. Uh, so Joshua and Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is yep. the descendant of the king. And yep. he is David's uh, heir. Yeah. And Joshua, Jeshua, Joshua is the, the high priest. <laughs> and now if you look back on the previous versions, you see uh, Joshua, who is both the one that reads the word of God and leads them into dist- to the nation. Moses, who created them the law, gave them law, which is what kings do, yep. and was the prophet that spoke on God's behalf. You've got Noah, who offered the sacrifice, but is also the only human alive. Mm-hmm. And then you've got... Um, well, his family. His family, the the ruler of his family. Um, and then you've got Adam and Eve, who are the priests. It, all the working of the garden is used in priestly languages. Mm-hmm. And regency words, language. And yep. regency language kingship. And so you see, it wasn't obvious 
earlier on for us readers. But because of the fifth cycle, when you see Joshua and Zerubbabel as mm-hmm. paired people, you can look back and go, oh. Yeah. And you have them, as as mentioned uh, the first time going through, mm-hmm. um, there's that uh, hip- hypocrisy with their, you know, their heart is no longer in their worship, which continues through into the sixth cycle, which we get the final Joshua. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes. To end off the fifth cycle... They, their judgment comes in, uh, or their judgment and their sin specifically is uh, they have false hypocrisy that they're not following the law, but also part of that, I think at least I don't remember if Stronstad heavily ties this is uh, the rejection of the Son of God. Yep, but I think that that is because that they are they're hypoc hip yes hypocritic they're whatever their yep. false worship in heart is actually false worship. Yep. Which is the claim made in Malachi and the claim made by Jesus when it's like, if you were actually children of Israel, if you actually knew the law, if you not read, have you not, you would know that it points to me. Yep. You know, and the whole idea is if you actively followed through the things that you say you did, you would be, you would hear the voice of God. Yes. If you were a child of God and you're not. Absolutely. And so that's, that's, that's the merging of those two. Mm Mm-hmm. And before we talk about the destruction of the second temple, because that kind of happens after the start of the sixth cycle, uh, the sixth cycle opens up with the New Testament, um, beginning with John the Baptist, mm-hmm. not Jesus really, although Jesus is also one of the agents. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus to come. Yep. Um, and then Jesus himself starts the sixth cycle. Um, the restoration of right worship comes in like you said, that the the Pharisees were not obeying the law properly, that Jesus came to redeem humanity through him as a, as a fulfillment of the law. Yeah, well, it, it gets into that thing with, with Noah that you see, and you see it in other places mm-hmm. as well. Um, it takes a sacrifice in obedience. Yes, yeah. ex- exactly. Um, yeah. Well, and what Jesus does that the priests don't, which is getting into that hypocrisy, mm-hmm. is he fulfills also like Micah 6, 8, which is God's like prophes- uh, prophetic utterance to the priesthood and all of Israel. But as I'll just read the verse, um, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with yep. your God. So, And Jesus does that. They are not, though they have all the trappings of a priest. So yeah. in the in the sixth cycle, which is sorry if I'm just gonna go on no, for a little bit. In the sixth cycle, you have John the Baptist, which kind of pre-starts the whole thing, right? He is the mm-hmm. voice that comes before. Mm-hmm. But he himself, he he is a voice to the change. This is one of the things I, I kind of wish uh, Strongstad was a little more explicit with it. There's agents of change and then there's voices of the change. There's an mm-hmm. agent stash voice. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more in just after when we cover the, the seventh, after the seventh cycle, um, Jesus himself is the actual agent of change. And that's like that, that first cycle, that first part of the first cycle, the, the actual, the new start, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, and then something that still carries on, and this is where his sixth and seventh cycle kind of blur together. And they also blur together in actual history. We're still actively following it out because yes. new Christians and the the work of the apostles, the biblical text itself, and we are participating 
in that act of change, yes. that ministry of Christ as the church. One of the agents is the church. Mm-hmm. And so one of the interesting things then is there's a slight reversal in what spreads. There's not just a spread of sin. Yep. Now there's a spread of this gospel, this transforming, transforming mm-hmm. life-giving, righteous, pr- righteous providing yep. uh, ministry of Christ offered through his death and resurrection and ascension. And it's how we actively participate. And so it's the f- it's the fulfillment of a bunch of the other previous promises which we can get into yep. perhaps in other in other episodes as well um, but hidden in with that and the, you see it in the new testament that well there's going to be people that are going to come to Christ people there's this instead of spread of sin there's a spread of the gospel explodes across which is huge in in acts and is a big point in Strongstad's book actually he spends a lot of time camping right on that specific point mm. the explosion of the gospel into the ends of the earth um which is i i find it funny that rome which is the highest center of pagan power in the yep. roman world is the place where acts ends where the gospel goes to mm. the implication being at least tongue-in-cheek wise, the furthest place away from God, the end of the earth, is the highest place in pagan power. And the gospel is reached in the end of Acts. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, I think that's funny. That's really cool, yeah. That's a thought in real time. I never even thought about of. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, however, in the Bible, in the New Testament, you still have, yes, but there will be days where they abandon, where, where people will abandon Christ. And mass persecution will come and judgment will follow after that. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of, sorry, I'm, I'm taking over your, your job there, Colton. No, it's all good. Um, like you said, the Jesus, John the Baptist and the church are all part of the same, uh, part of the same cycle. Uh, the cycle doesn't end with Jesus's death and resurrection. Uh, like there's this new thing. It, it continues the work of Jesus before he died too further on. It's more about his teaching and spreading his name than it is about uh, now that Christ has come, there's this dispensational uh, treatment of... What? Uh, wow, I know a Pentecostal who doesn't believe in uh, dispensationalism. Most Pentecostals crazy. don't believe in dispensationalism until it comes to eschatology. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're, because, you're we, right. because we are a hodge, eclectic hodgepodge of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. Um, something should be noted is that uh, Stronsad's book, half of it is dedicated to the first five cycles uh, and the Old Testament, whereas the sixth and seventh cycle, the sixth cycle specifically is five chapters or half of the book long. Mm-hmm. And then the seventh cycles, I don't want to say a chapter, it's five pages. Um, is it? It is five or six pages. Yeah, because we don't know what's going on. Yeah, Other well, than, well, he also, it's just perfect. Oh, man, he does. Well, yeah, the sixth right. cycle, the... Uh, it's just dispensational eschatology, right? Like, I've read cycle? it. In the seventh. I've read it. Um, That's the vibe I got, at least. I didn't see it as much. It's more like a conclusion, more than it is... The seventh cycle is a conclusion more so than this is now how it works. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, no more spread of sin. Yeah. The Maybe spread I'm of sin... Yeah, the, the spread of sin in the sixth cycle is it's, at least Stronstadt talks about how it spreads to the ends of the earth and culminates in uh, 
culminates in the Antichrist and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the eschatological talks that happen in Revelation and Thessalonians and stuff like yeah. that. It's it's a classical Pentecostal view of yep. eschatology. It's probably the most common view uh, in evangelicals. In evangelicalism, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then what's the judgment that comes of the sixth cycle? Christ's return. Christ's return. Um, Christ's return is also the new start of the next cycle, but it also is part of the, it's part of the judgment itself of this mm-hmm. one, which is why the seventh cycle is a little confusing. Um, Cause it, everything at the end of the sixth cycle is the seventh cycle to an extent. Yeah. Except for the thrust of it pointing towards the future. Um, well, and that's the connection that we've kind of made separate from his story, mm-hmm. which is the pattern that I think sadly he either for space or didn't see, which I'm not going to assume that okay. Roger Stern said didn't see this um, is the, the means of destruction is the path to salvation. Um, so just as the, the Noah is put on the boat and taken with the waves mm-hmm. and saved the Israelites taken by the, the, the remnant taken by the destroying army and brought and, they flourish yep. outside of the land. Jesus as the judge is also the redeemer of the saved. So he comes and just clean separates the sheep and the goats destroys the world, but he's also the one that saves the remnant the the faithful. Yep. Um, and so he, that weird interplay there is what we we've been hinting. It doesn't, the book doesn't <laughs> um, that Jesus like, the flood in the ark and the army is he is both the the thing that saves and the thing that destroys. Yep. Yeah. He is the judgment of God and the redemption of God. Yeah. He is also the um at the start of the cycle, he is the restoration of right worship and yeah. he is the well uh, because people didn't follow him, he is also the judgment upon it. Yeah. Um but the seventh cycle to round it off, uh the cycles. The seventh cycle is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, this lasts until, well, eternity, forever. <laughs> uh, until undefined because... We don't know. We don't know. Because the seventh cycle doesn't follow the pattern yeah. because sin doesn't spread. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Joshua is also the uh, agent of this. Yes. Not not Joshua. Jesus, which means yeah. Joshua. Yes. Uh, a lot of Joshua's. Yes. Um, it's a good the, name. Again, the sin... That was on or it, yeah. You would say that the sin that was on the world was the rejection uh, of God. That all of the powers are against God, and the uh, unholy Trinity is the culmination of that. Yeah. Uh, the beast, false prophet, and dragon. Um, God's wrath is finally poured on the world as judgment, and the second death that's given to the unrighteous and eternal life to the um, children of God is the restoration. Mm. Um, and after this, what it says, it is finished. There is nothing past this point. There's nothing to be fulfilled. There's no continuation of turning points because now it is turned. Yeah. Um, this is the end of the cycle. Yeah. And that's Strongstad's seven, seven cycle framework, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple points that I would like to point out with the typologies. And typology yes. is a reoccurring and, and compounding pattern. Do you um, want to define typology quick? I just did. Oh, perfect. 
Um, it's okay. So agents, obviously, Colton brought it up a couple times. Uh, first cycle, you have Adam and Noah. They are both agents of change. Mm-hmm. Um, Strongstad just calls them agents, but I think it, drawing Secret distinctions is, it it actually illuminates another thing that um, he gets into slightly. Um, so yeah, second uh, second cycle is again Noah, but this time it's New Covenant. Uh, third cycle, Abraham, which is New Covenant, and Moses, which is an agent of change and New Covenant. Mm-hmm. Fourth cycle, Joshua, which is an agent of change. Samuel, in his book, is made out to be a voice of change. So testimony to the things that are going on. Um, and David, New Covenant. Fifth cycle, uh, Joshua, agent of change. Zerubbabel, agent of change. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Michael are then voices of change. Things are gonna, things are happening, and things are coming, mm. right? A fifth cycle, Jesus is the agent and voice of change and new covenant that fulfills all the previous. He's everything. Um, you have the twelve disciples, which are voices of change. You have Paul, which is the, which is another voice of change, and you have the church, which would encompass, which would encapsulate the previous two, which are participatory agents and voices of change via the present spirit. Um, yes. and, and as a Pentecostal, Strongstad kind of makes a bigger deal out of that than mm-hmm. would be commonly seen in some, in, in other uh, theological discourses. Well, and the, um, well, the other connection that in the book of John is in Jesus' priestly prayer and in his promises to the church, which is um, you, you will do what I have done. Yes. Um, because just as I am in the father, and he is in me, so will you be in me, mm-hmm. and therefore you will be in the Father, and the way you you do that is through the Spirit in you. Yes. So, we, the reason we're agents of change, not the... the well, it's, the, the, it's, it's Christ's continual work via the Spirit in his corporate body, quote-unquote, yes. via, in the church. Yeah. And in the seventh cycle, you have him, Jesus... Joshua again mm-hmm. as the final agent of change, and so it's it, Strongstep points it out lightly. Um, I would like to point it out more specifically. Um, behind all the previous, um, God is the primary cause of all the agents. It's not them causing it. He chooses um, who he will act through in the agents of change, speak through in the voices of change, and make covenants with. However, in Jesus who is God incarnate, he is the culmination of all the previous. He is the one who causes the change. Mm-hmm. He is the one who who is the voice of the change, and he is the one who makes the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 another compounding typology that that, that, yep. is, that can be seen. Um, another quick one there's is how the covenants work, which is I think is is a far more natural way to see the the, the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've mentioned this previously, where it's covenantal theology appears to take the Bible uh, appears to, to respect the Bible's divisions a little bit more. Um, may, not saying that the others don't, but the actual theology that comes out of it appears to try to hug closer to what the original authors would have understood. Yep. Um, one of the interesting things, and you'll see this also in the in the file um, that you'll get a link to in the bottom of the YouTube video here, is there's a the Abrahamic covenant is about all nations or it's to all nations will be blessed through. And it's kind of like this, this, this all encompassing thing. However, things continually get more focus point until it becomes one person being Jesus. Um, 
So you have Abraham, which is an all-nations covenant, kind of. Um, then you have Moses, which is one nation. You are God's mm-hmm. nation now. And then you have Davidic, which is a family line, dynasty. Yep. And then in Jesus, you have, it is one man, but again, opened up for all nations. And so that's an interesting little little pattern. In Starts covenants. as one man, and then the second time he comes back, all nations. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can see that with... It is the response, and Paul gets into this in Romans, where it's the response to the one man who brought in yep. sin to all nations. Mm-hmm. So all nations will be, be brought him. down to the salvation of all of them yep. in the one man. And so it's kind of like a kind of like a diamond. At the one side you have mm-hmm. Adam, it spreads to all nations, and then it funnels back down into Jesus on the other point. And it's that's the two. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we kind of went over uh, restoration of right worship. Do we have time to talk about it? There's a couple of things I think are interesting. If we don't have time, if we don't have to talk about it. If you're super quick. I can be super quick. I think we have time. Um, the restoration of right worship, uh, we talked about it lightly with some of them. Uh, but as God, or as God, as the agents rest, uh, restore right worship, that is basically, at least in Strontad stuff, this is more stuff that I noticed and that I was more taught but is a theme even in uh, his book if he doesn't fully see it. Uh, the restoration of right worship is what the standard, basically, that which the sin that they fall to is held to. Um, can you... Can you? Yes, I can rephrase that. Okay, please. Thank um, you. <laughs> the reason why judgment is act- enacted upon uh, that cycle is because of, they have contradicted the right worship that was established at the beginning. Right. Which, yes, is restoration of right worship, which implies that it's the same as the beginning, but is specific to that cycle, um, which, again, fully culminates in Jesus. But the first cycle, the right worship is obedience to God. And obviously, man falls, they sin, they fall away, mm-hmm. and the, over the entire earth. Um, well, yeah, it's it, working the garden and yep. taking care of it, and they don't. And they don't, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so right worship is reestablished in the second cycle uh, through the building of altars and sacrifice and uh, the Noahic covenant. Um, this spread among the earth and repopulate all of this and obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the standard that they're held to. And the Babel contradicts that. They are not obedient to God. In fact, they try to basically wage a war against them if you want to hold more extreme language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't spread it across the earth. With the third cycle, Abraham has faith, and that's credited to him as righteousness. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end, uh, they, faith they... faith in that God will give him a land and a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas at the end of the cycle, with Israel trying to get into the wilderness, they do not have faith that God will will protect them and give them what is promised to them. Which is interesting because it's articulated. In- as we don't have faith that God will fulfill his word. Yes. That God is being honest. Yes. And I think that's the through line. Absolutely. For that is Adam and Eve's problem. That's the people of... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you see that the, the, that's that's the core of the spirit of sin. Is God trustworthy? What Does he fulfill his covenants? Will he fulfill the promises he made to me? Sure. Okay. And... St- Ironically enough, through judgment, God is faithful. Yes. (laughs) 
God has proven faithful. Uh, quickly with the fourth cycle. Uh, you see a more microcosm of this idea in Judges, this whole idea of turning points. It's Judges is turning point theology, essentially. Um, that there is, Israel forgets God, nation comes to oppress them, Judges raised up, an agent is raised up to save them, and right worship is restored through them. Um, yeah, sure, it's mini, mini, mini turning it's points. Just, it's just tiny little microcosm of, of this idea. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, Joshua obeys the commandments of God, which is now through the law. As for me and my house, we will obey. The, we will follow the Lord. They mm-hmm. will serve Him and they will worship Him alone. Um, the end of this cycle is Israel uh, with with the North uh, Israel kingdom. They right away break this idea. They yeah, Jeroboam uh, just poof, yeah, Jeroboam right off the deep end, just and, boom. And that is why they're taken away first. Yeah, and God is God actually talks to Jeroboam in in a dream. I th- I think it's a dream. Mm-hmm. Either that or it's just a vision. Yes, and he's just like, hey, if you do this, I will bless you and make you prosperous. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nah. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and as and, a result of idolatry, worshiping many gods and not just one, yep. like Joshua did. There. And it just gets worse and worse yeah. and worse. Yeah. Uh, Israel's led away. With the second kingdom, this is why I think Stronside breaks it up. Uh, Hezekiah restores right worship for a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he sees the northern kingdom falling to, uh, because he might not see it's because of their idolatry. He removes the idolatry in Israel. Uh, Judah. In, sorry, in Judah. And that is what protects them. Uh, Josiah does the same thing, except at that point it's a little too late. Um, mm-hmm. And they are eventually let out because they fell away and do not worship God anymore. Yeah. Um, the fifth cycle, the rebuilding of the temple, the restoration of lawful practice and festivals, and the expulsion of foreigners are what considers them to be righteous uh, at, at the beginning. That is the restoration of right worship. Uh, however, at the end, they desecrate the temple uh, using many, many things, the that's uh, abomination that brings desolation. If you want to use that, but just yeah, but I think it's 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 Antiochus. their. It's ultimately the thing that judges them is their false worship, and most Absolutely. specifically, it's their false worship which, which gets them not to desecrate a temple, meaning the th- meaning the second, but the temple, meaning Christ Himself. Yes, and that's the judgment bringing. Yes, uh, effect because they. Their false worship, which started in the heart, as in the not actually trying to have a contrite heart before God, actually manifests in full-blown false worship of God. Yes, you're, you're right. yes, you're right. This is we talked a little bit about how the uh, later cycles tend to kind of change. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into the strengths and weaknesses right before closing. Yeah, here. yeah. but um, th- this idea of Ezra and what Ezra and Nehemiah talk about restoration—they desecrate the temple. They do not. They uphold the festivals poorly, like you said, and they they use the the practices wrongly. Even though they still obey, they still mm-hmm. obey them, and they do not expel the foreigners that keep coming to them. Yeah, uh, Romans. Although that's kind of not the fault. Well, yeah, and then you see in Jesus, you see they're following the the letter of the law, but not the heart of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and they follow the wrong king. Mm-hmm. which was restored at the beginning as well. Um, not just they, they don't follow Jesus, but they also have Herod. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think I think the motifs are meant to bleed in to, at least bleed into the, the sixth cycle beginning with Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think those are the connections that are, that are meant to be made. For sure. Yeah. Um, especially in what Stronstad's trying to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we talked a little bit about the sixth cycle, how um, it is trust and belief in Jesus and his, and his teachings and his word that uh, is the restoration of right worship, that mm-hmm. he has redeemed, he has uh, redeemed uh, all people if they accept him. The end of this is the people reject him completely um, and they follow a different trinity or a different idea of God. The beasts, the as beast. Revelation yep. Yep. put forward. Um, seventh cycle doesn't have that. Yeah. But but the restoration of right worship in that sense would be Christ's return. Yep. The purging yep. of sin and death. Well, then that connects back to your Genesis point is that it's all, is God trustworthy? And it's, do you have faith in Jesus mm-hmm. or do you not? Yeah. Do you yep. reject his faithfulness? Yeah. Um, but these, these typologies are very interesting. Yeah. And some of them are seen more clearly in his book and some of them aren't. But this whole idea of uh, turning points as terms of like a whole Bible theology or a, a continual line th- of theology through the Bible. Well, we're, we're going to get into that, right, with the strengths and weaknesses. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, better, it's better in some places and it's worse in others. Yeah. yeah. So let's, Josh, can you lead us through some of the strengths and weaknesses and then we'll, we'll start yeah. wrapping this up? Um, so first of all, we have the, one of the major strengths of this biblical theology is it does follow the whole length of the biblical canon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it creates a organization for you to see the biblical story and arc through, and then in turns, in turn, our story and the whole of the future, our hope in. It even articulates our place in that story. Mm. Yeah. It creates a good frame to grasp our relationship between, sorry, the relationship between God's justice and mercy, holiness and patience. Mm. Yeah. Um, right. When, when is it, when, when does God see fit it just to judge the world? And when does he see uh, it fit to be patient? Sure. When does he, what is his demand of holiness? What is right worship? And what is not? Right. Um, where does God draw the line? Cause, cause we don't, our idea of justice and mercy, you know, some people want it really hard. Some people want condoning sin and it's hard to draw the line as humans yeah. well, of where that should go. The consistency of the unchanging God mm-hmm. is I think very evident yeah. throughout yes. all seven cycles. Yeah. And then lastly, it helps the reader understand the cosmic story that the believer is living in and what role they play. Mm-hmm. You, as we've learned, mm-hmm. are an agent and a voice of change, mm-hmm. partnering with Christ. Yeah. He is working through you, just like he worked through Adam, Noah, two other Joshua's, and a yeah. guy named uh, uh, Abraham. Yeah. A guy named Abraham. And a guy He's going to start listing Old Testament people now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's great. That's great. I would like to add one more. Okay. Uh, strength I've been thinking of. We'll see I if we th- agree. but We might not, but uh, <laughs> I think we will. It also, I think that this book helps to give a somewhat different approach in Pentecostalism to dispensationalism. Um, yes, most Pentecostals don't follow dispensationalism, but a lot of them say they do. And uh, this gives a non... It gives a the same idea of there's oh, turning explains. points, sure, okay. but they're not yeah. connected to the covenants. They're not connected to how God treats humanity. It's connected through themes. Um, okay, as an alternative, I can respect that. I I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's better than dispensationalism. Well, actually, to the point of it communicates the yeah. consistency 
of the unchanging God exactly. and his characteristics. Yeah. Which is the major failure of dispensationalism, yeah. is that yeah. God so, changes. Yeah. yeah. So, fair enough. I, I don't think it does enough in the fourth and fifth cycle, which we'll get into the okay. weaknesses. Actually, can we just jump right into the weaknesses? Absolutely. Yeah, let's jump right into the weaknesses. Um, so, because it discusses the cosmic story, it lacks groundness, groundedness. Um, what I mean by that is because it's talking about the overarching story of the Bible, mm. it doesn't talk about, it It lacks the thorough nature of the Bible itself, which is trying to understand how God works in every person's life. Sure. It's not um, immediately practical, which yes. is an issue just with biblical theology in general. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, not an issue. It is a pattern that can often be seen. Yes. It, it's it's something difficult to, to, to handle in biblical theology. Yeah. Well, because in this one, you see what's the applicable aspect to this, and it's um, be in right worship. Yep. Don't don't get judged. Yeah. yeah. Be in right worship, and uh, now you know maybe a little bit more about the Bible. Yeah. So, um, that's it. And then that leads to the second one. We kind of talked about this. It touches it, so it does not gel with the Bible's self-declared covenant structure, though it does attempt to relate with it. Yeah. I think a so, respectful amount. It, but uh, it tries. But it is an arbitrary, at least in my opinion, um, overlaying of a pattern that a human mind sees as, 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 as good as that is. Yes. Um, to say that, well, the Bible is this then. And yeah. like, uh, well, and I would say, yeah, I would say it's a pattern in the text. Like it's not, it's one of many patterns. It takes patterns within the Bible and it kind of, I would like say it saying, prioritizes I think it, patterns. It does. It also codifies them into a thing that might probably shouldn't be codified. Well, I don't know what shouldn't, I don't think it's bad just to do it. Right. It's bad to elevate and uh, elevate it and say this is the story this is, of the Bible. Okay. This yes. is the biblical theology, yeah. and you can say that 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 Strongstad is well aware of that when he says a Pentecostal biblical theology. Yeah. He's not making the theology. Right. This is the, the New theology, and that's believe, specifically yeah. why I said it's a pattern. Yeah. in the sure. story, not the not the whole pattern of the whole Bible, because. As our professor made the point, the whole Bible does that. Yeah, but the best biblical <laughs> theology is the Bible itself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, but then also you've got uh, the sixth and seventh cycle confronts issues with apocalyptic and prophetic interpretation. Absolutely. Because depending on where that where you fall with the when the millennium happens, if the millennium happens, when Jesus comes back, determines when and what the end of the sixth cycle especially looks like and the, the beginning seventh. of the seventh. Yeah. yeah. Especially the seventh cycle. Because is the seventh cycle, does it, if it's the amillennial view, then it ends with the destruction of everything. And then the seventh cycle is just new creation and we're, we're good. If it's where you have Christ comes and then reigns for a bit and there's the fight with, Satan the after he's Satan. let out of the pit and all that, whatever. And so right. then there's a period, there's another seventh cycle. The seventh cycle is more sin and then destruction. Yeah. And the, the clear sin yeah. that leads to the next cycle is, at least in an amillennial view, not very clear at all. Mm -hmm. Because it's Well, there, there really, wouldn't really be one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. It's, if I'm allowed to add another weakness... Yep. The well, we added one strength, so we're only allowed to add one. Weakness. There we go. Um, the terminology and his pattern does not always fit every single yeah. cycle. Um, like we're talking about that with the with the sixth and 
sixth and seventh cycles, but I think there's you can find little weaknesses throughout all of them. Yeah, where it doesn't super fit. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Here's the like I don't. I gave this a rough review on our website. To be honest with you, I was the one who gave it a two point five out of five. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Still better than my cover review. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the reason I, I should, I, I, you know what? Looking back on it, I should, I should actually raise that higher. Is it's it fills a niche that doesn't really exist, which is it's. It's not big enough to go into depth, but it's just big enough to make big claims, mm. right? Okay, yeah. and and it's it doesn't it doesn't have the space to actually formulate those weaker areas, and they're just there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I don't find the framework that convincing, as like it totally fits. I find it yeah. helpful to articulate the biblical narrative as a whole. Mm-hmm. But I don't find it overall convincing. Well, again, I I also don't think it's a pattern of the biblical narrative. I think it's a pattern of judgment. Sure, it's a pattern of recreation and judgment. Right. Um, and for that, I think it does a good job. It shows you God's redemptive arc and man's sin and God's God's desire to judge sin. Yeah. And his desire to save humanity. And so... In a very broad sense, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I also agree with Caleb that it, much like one of their weaknesses, is that it discusses the cosmic story. It doesn't ground itself super well. It doesn't talk about specific instances of sin, just more like this one specific one that leads, that tends to precede um, some form of judgment, which is fair because that happens, but... Yes, and I don't think those two ideas are exclusive. No, um, not necessarily. Yeah. before we round off, do we want to give what we would say out of five what this book is? Because it's basically a giant <laughs> book review. Three. Three out of five. Okay. Uh, Yeshua. I would say three as well. All right. This. And just so everybody knows, my uh, ratings of book covers does not affect my rating of the book's content. That's funny. <laughs> Didn't Joel give it a four? Joel gave it a four. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Stuart said. I don't know if he has said anything about it. No, I don't. I don't know if he's read it. Right. S- Stuart did not do well in the class. <laughs> <laughs> this was the one class I was better than him at, and he just couldn't get what the teacher was trying to get from him. Oh, hey, Stuart. That's <laughs> hi. You're bad. To that. Yeah. Stuart I and mean. I have a great relationship surrounding this class. Um, my review. Uh, my final review would be three as well, which is weird okay. that we all kind of agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has a lot of good points, like probably the same as you guys, has a lot of good points, a lot of interesting ideas, but I don't think it's perfect. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's our first, maybe even a little bit um, long-winded, but that's our first episode on biblical theology, our, our ongoing series. Um, I don't know what we're going to cover next. Probably something in the short studies of biblical theology, mm. which you've heard us talk about in the "What Have You Read?" and maybe even seen it on the bl- on the the blog on the our website on the book review section. Um, yeah, check that out. Check more book reviews. See the blog posts. We try to post more. There hasn't been much activity, but you know what? I think there's going to be more when uh, we kind of get out of school, and I'll have a bunch of school papers 
so that I can uh, modify and throw up there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, if you're listening to us on YouTube, check us out on our audio platforms on Spotify or Apple uh, podcast. Or if you're on those, check out the comments. Give us some comments on our YouTube channel. Mm. You know, in dialogue with us is what we're looking for. Um, Check out our Instagram. Also, more interaction. Joel does some fun stuff on there. Some polls, some lots of, it's far more lighthearted, a lot of jokes. That's kind of fun. Uh, If you want to send us a more in-depth conversation, email us. Um, tell us what you're thinking. Tell us, you know, what you liked, what you didn't like about the, this episode, what biblical theology you think we should do next even. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And share the podcast with whoever you'd think would find this interesting. Our, our mission statement is just to start dialogue. And, or even uh, if they wouldn't find it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That too. But I don't want to put you in a sticky situation because I know I always listen to everybody who tells me to share their stuff. Right. Anyway. Um, should we just end it? I think so. I think this is the part where we end it. Okay.